if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us as we get rolling at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Monday, the 15th morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2020. Coming up on the program in about 40 minutes, in fact, exactly 40 minutes at 948, we will talk to Congressman Jim Jordan. We will talk about American unrest. We will talk about racial arson. We will talk about policing in America. We will talk about autonomous zones and an attempt to literally destroy the United States of America as you know her. That's coming up at 948. At 10.10, we're going to talk with two prominent members of the Fraternal Order of Police. The current Ohio president of the FOP is Gary Wolski. He will join us along with the uh, uh, immediate past president of the uh, FOP, which is Jay McDonald. The two of them will join us directly to talk about what happened in Atlanta over the weekend, the burning of a Wendy's over the shooting of a suspect who committed um, a violent crime. The violent crime was not sleeping in a drive-thru, uh, Wendy's drive-thru, passing out drunk, essentially, drunk and high in a, in a Wendy's drive-thru. The crime, of course, was assaulting a police officer and attempting a much more serious assault. Um, and we all know what happened from there. So we're going to talk to uh, 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 Jay McDonald and Gary Wolski coming up at 1010 about all of that. And quite frankly, just about uh, policing in America. You know, in case you did not believe them when they told you they wanted to abolish police, you know, there's been all of this discussion and all of these um, talking heads saying, well, when they say defund the police, they don't mean we don't need any police and we'll get rid of, uh, we're going to get rid of police officers and get rid of police departments. They just mean we're going to reallocate resources so that we can provide community policing and provide, you know, more social programs and things like that so there wouldn't be any need for police, blah, blah, blah. The New York Times made it clear. The New York Times on Friday ran this op-ed verbatim. Yes, we mean literally abolish the police. So all of this stuff people say, well, you know, defund the police, defund the police. That doesn't mean get rid of all police. It just means we need to defund it and move some money around. No, the New York Times says, speaking for liberals everywhere, we mean literally abolish the police. And that, my friends, is is a recipe for, obviously, absolute disaster. 
Police officers, by the way, are taking the hint. I'm going to share with you in a short while an article that was written by a police officer, a police officer who has seen enough and a police officer who has essentially said, I've had enough. We have had enough. You win. We're leaving. The article was written by an officer um, for law enforcement, for a law enforcement website, rather, for um, lawofficer.com. And the article was written by somebody who said, it's not worth it anymore. More and more police officers are saying, we can't do this. We can't provide the protection and the service to the general population of the of the United States of America if we are constantly under attack and unable and not allowed, not permitted to defend ourselves and to fight back. America, we are leaving. Written by Travis Yates, police officer uh, for lawofficer.com, and it's, uh, it's emotional, and I'm going to share it with you. It's sad, and it's sick. I'm also going to share another essay with you. It's going to be a little bit of reading today, and I apologize in advance for it. I don't normally do that, as you know. I'll read some things to you that I find very, very important, but I don't like to do anything long form. But I'm going to read that letter long form, and I'm also going to read an essay, which is extraordinarily important for you to hear every word of. Look, the racial divide in this country has reached a tipping point. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. What we are witnessing right now is a shift in history, something that when children are reading their history books, if those are still allowed, and that's a big if, that's a big if, 50, 100, 150 years from now, if history books are allowed to be read and studied by students of the future. And I I, I can't emphasize enough that that's not a guarantee, because we are doing everything we can right now in the society to erase American history by tearing down statues, by banning films, by banning books. Things that provide offense to people are not going to be allowed to be seen and or heard ever again. It's 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 a, if I say it's a brave new world, understand that I mean that in both ways, in in the modern vernacular and like the book. It is a brave new world. It is a world going forward that you will never recognize. Or, rather, you will recognize very clearly and you will never be able to recall or remember the world we left behind. They're erasing our history. But, But, you know, looking forward to the children of the future, they will look back on the year 2020 And it will be an extraordinarily pivotal moment in American history, in what we will call new American history. And not just because of, and not especially because of the COVID-19 virus. And we do have more uh, uh, news on that, of course, as some spikes are being seen, as expected in a number of places. Why this is a shock when you have all kinds of different uh, realities going on in different states is, is beyond me. And it's, of course, leading to some on the left to call for a new shutdown, a new lockdown in states and cities uh, and uh, really across the country, which, of course, would be just absolutely devastating and lead to more deaths than ever before and not having anything to do with the COVID-19 virus. But um, 2020 is going to be known as the day or the year, rather, that the American ideal was shifted. You see, there's always been an ideal 
in the United States of America. Our idealism, as a matter of fact, is largely what led us to becoming the great nation that we are. We saw and we were able to imagine and we were able to envision and we would be able to work toward creating a utopia founded in liberty. The ideal America is one in which all people are free and all people are free to do what they want so long as they are not harming other people or other people's property and so on and so forth. Our founders had the vision. They were very idealistic, but they were also very realistic. And they knew that this wonderful republic rooted in liberty was going to be a thing of beauty. It was going to be utopia from a standpoint of nobody has to answer to an oppressive government. Nobody has to um, get on bended knee and, and pay homage to government leaders, a la kingdoms, tyrannies, dictatorships, that people were going to be able to free to be were going to be free to be able to say whatever they wanted to do whatever they wanted again provided they were able to pay for it through their own hard work and earnings and that they weren't harming other people but our founders knew that this was not going to be easy and that's why they said we have a republic if we can keep it and 2020 will be the year that goes down in those future history books that, pe- that children will look back and say, that was the year that America faced its greatest test as to whether or not they could keep the republic or whether they would have to surrender it, be unable to defend it because of fear of defending it and offending someone in the process. So they surrendered our great liberty-driven uh, republic, and they gave in to socialism they gave into tyranny they gave into authoritarianism and they did so without even putting up a fight that's what the history books are going to read about the year 2020 if we don't stand up right now right now and put an end to these unlawful occupations in places like seattle if we don't put an end to this widespread vandalism, these fires burning buildings that have nothing to do with anything, these assaults on people, if we don't step up and stand up right now, 2020 will be the year that we lost the republic. 2020 will be the year in which we went over the edge, beyond the tipping point, and we allowed anarchy to reign. And we allowed anarchists to take over and to destroy what hundreds of millions of patriots died over the course of this country's history. Millions of them to protect. And I'm talking about the very first patriots who gave us that liberty, who cast off the British crown, who fought the British army, who defeated the Brits, declared our independence, defended that independence, and now are having their monuments and statues torn down. And I'm talking about those that fought all enemies through the First World War, through the Second World War, 
through assaults on liberty in other places around the world that threaten liberty here in the United States of America. The tree of liberty has been watered with the blood of patriots, millions of them through all. And I, sh- I, I why did I even say starting, uh, or, or why did I skip rather from uh, uh, from uh, the Revolutionary War to World War One? I. I of course skipped over the Civil War, in which hundreds of thousands of Americans died to create freedom for all, including including African Americans. To abolish slavery, hundreds of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of white people especially died to make sure that black people in the United States would be free. And in 1865, that happened. And the president who declared it so, Abraham Lincoln, who was killed by radical white racist Southerners like John Wilkes Booth and his co-conspirators, President Lincoln was shot for that, and now his monuments and statues are being defaced and destroyed. There is no sanity anymore. Our republic has been, has, was birthed, has been nurtured, has been raised, has grown, has evolved into what we wanted it to be, the greatest beacon of liberty and humanity in the history of mankind. We have been the world's police. We have been the world's protectors. We have been the world's saviors over and over again. And that's why so many people from around the world, including people, as the saying goes, of color, risking their lives to get here. And now we are going to lose that republic to a bunch of globalist anarchists who are using everything they can to tear us down from within, including the color of our skin. This is racial arson. And I don't mean the actual arson that is being uh, carried out in all of these cities in all of these states, it is racial arson. They are trying to burn the fabric of America. Turning white against black. Black against white. All for their own personal power. Their own personal agenda rooted in their own desire for power. This is the pivotal moment. I'm telling you right now, you cannot be on the sidelines. You cannot sit by and watch all of this happen. You are either going to fight for our liberty in whatever capacity that you can with your words. We do not want this to be a civil war in the streets. We know some who do. But you are going to fight with your words and your ideas and with your mobilization and your organization, or you are going to surrender. And if you surrender, if you go down without a fight, yes, future history books will record it as such. That's not how I'm going to go down in history. 
I will not go down in history as somebody who surrendered this great republic to tyranny, to anarchy, because I was afraid to fight. It's 922. We'll be right back. close are we to the end of this republic? Well, they have already started sacrificing people in its honor. In the honor of the, the end of the republic, that is. The uh, first sacrifice uh, has been a police officer in Atlanta, Georgia, or at least the most recent. I probably shouldn't say first. I should say the most recent sacrifice is a police officer in Atlanta, Georgia, who was fired literally within hours of shooting an African-American suspect who had assaulted him. This is, this is the essence of what we are talking about right now. The officer in Atlanta was fired after shooting the suspect who had passed out drunk and high, in, or drunk or high. I know they said he was indeed intoxicated. He failed his field sobriety test and his breathalyzer. Um, he was passed out in a drive through of a Wendy's in Atlanta, Georgia. Body cameras, surveillance cameras, all kinds of cameras caught what happened next. A very peaceful arrest, a very peaceful and orderly uh, um, a disposi- or, uh, imposition rather of the field sobriety test. Uh, everything was fine until they tried to put handcuffs on the man. They tried to put handcuffs on the man, and the man resisted. The man punched the police officer and ran. Not before grabbing, however, off of his belt in the scuffle, his taser. And you've seen the video by now. We have all seen the video by now. As he is running away to escape arrest and being pursued on foot by the police officer, he turns over his shoulder and fires the taser. The officer reflexively fires back with the only thing he's got left, which, of course, is his gun. Two shots in the back. Rayshard Brooks, 27-year-old, is dead. Literally within hours, the officer involved was fired. And the chief of police resigned. Why? You know why. You know exactly why. To try to avoid rioting and looting didn't help because the Wendy's, the locate, which by the way makes perfect sense. The owner and the employees in the Wendy's building had really all kinds of things to do with this, right? All they did was call the police because somebody was passed out in their drive-through line and they couldn't get anybody through. So they had to pay the price. That building had to burn, and burn it did. But most importantly, fearing more rioting, fearing more racial unrest, fearing more looting and attacks and assaults in Atlanta, they fired the guy, sacrificing him before any real investigation has ever been done, and the chief of police stepped down. I watched and listened to multiple police experts over the weekend talking about how this is not how it's supposed to be done. Not talking about the officer's actions. When somebody fires a taser at you, you absolutely are allowed to defend yourself. For those who do not know, a taser is incapacitating. Any violent suspect, and that's right, he became violent when they began to arrest him. Any violent suspect's Suspect who incapacitates an officer with any anything such as a, a taser can be extraordinarily dangerous to that individual and to others. 
An officer being fired at by the taser reflexively fired back with his gun. And whether or not it should be uh, deemed to be a justifiable shooting, let's have an investigation and find out. Let's have a full investigation and find out. Instead, they decided in hours that this was an unjustified shooting and that this man should be fired and perhaps charged with murder. This is a sacrifice. Who is responsible for that man's death? The officer who was having a taser fired him, or the man who could have easily just kept his hands behind his back and allowed the handcuffing to take place and be put into a cruiser and go to the uh, go to jail, be booked, and then if you want to fight your case and your right to to lay passed out, drunk and high in a drive-through line, go ahead and fight it in a court of law. Resisting arrest, hitting an officer, stealing his weapon, using that weapon against him, that should be reason enough for any officer to use uh, deadly force to protect himself. But in 2020, the year that will go down in future history as the tipping point of America, and whether or not we protected and defended our republic or we, we surrendered and gave her up, in 2020 America, the officer is automatically judged to be wrong. And that's why cops are leaving. They are quitting in droves. And then we're about to see what lives really matter. We'll be back after the news. Nine thirty-six. Thanks for being with us on fourteen twenty. I need to share this with you, and I want you to listen carefully to the words of this officer. Uh, An officer who is speaking for many others. His name is Travis Yates, and he wrote this even before the officer in Georgia was summarily judged to have been guilty uh, of excessive force and, of course, probably racism in Atlanta. This was written even before that, but there will be more coming after this. This is the hardest thing I have written. I grew up in a law enforcement family. My father worked his way up to the rank of captain at the Fort Smith, Arkansas, Police Department. As a kid, I remember going with him on Friday to pick up his check, and I was in awe of those superheroes that he worked around. They were funny and fun to be around, men and women of all races, all with the same mission, to make the community safer. My dad sacrificed a lot, and so did my late mother, whether it was the week-long surveillance or wiretap or chasing drug runners across the country. He gave it all for my family and worked plenty of extra details to never let our family be without. Some would call that privilege, but where I grew up, it was called hard work. The kids at school thought it was cool what my dad did, and while he sometimes asked me if anyone gave me a hard time, they never did. There was respect among all, even the kids in shop class. I didn't grow up wanting to be a cop, but one fateful night as a freshman in college, that all changed. I went on a ride along, and my life's journey would never be the same. After four years of college, my dad wanted me at an agency that respected that education, so I moved to Tulsa at 21 years old and never looked back. I didn't know anyone, and all I knew was what what I saw my dad do. Work hard and treat people with respect. I saw a lot of other cops working hard as well and doing all they could to keep the community safe. 27 years have passed, and if you would have told me the condition of law enforcement today, I would have never believed you. 
It's not that law enforcement has changed for the worse, but everything around it has. The mentally ill used to get treatment, and now they just send cops. Kids used to be taught respect, and now it's cool to be disrespectful. Supervisors used to back you when you were right, but now they accuse you of being wrong in order to appease crazy people. Parents used to get mad at their kids for getting arrested, but now they get mad at us. The media used to highlight the positive contribution our profession gave to society. And now they either ignore it or twist the truth for controversy to line their own pockets. There used to be a common respect among criminals. If they got caught, they understood you had a job to do. But now it's our fault that they sit in handcuffs rather than their own personal decisions. If someone attacked a cop, they were seen as such. Now we martyr them and sue for millions. We used to be able to testify in court, and we were believed. And unless there is video from three different angles now, no one cares what you have to say. With all of this talk about racism and racist cops, I have never seen people treated differently because of their race. And while I know that cowards that have never done this job will call me racist for saying it, all I've ever seen was criminal behavior and cops trying to stop it. And they didn't give a rip what your skin color was. I've seen cops help and save any type of race, gender, or ethnicity that you can think of. And while that used to mean something, no one cares anymore. I've been called every name you can think of, and many of them with racial overtones. And it's never come from cops. I've watched African-American cops take the brunt of this, and even talked one rookie out of quitting after he was berated by a bunch of cowards that had the same skin color as him. I've heard words I've never heard before being a cop. Uncle Tom, Cracker, Pig, and the N-word, just to name a few. I've heard them thousands of times, and never once did I see a police officer retaliate. They just took it. Despite that, it's been the greatest opportunity of my life to do this job. I would have recommended it to anyone, and I secretly hoped one of my kids would do it one day. They would have been a fourth-generation cop. But today, all of that is over. I wouldn't wish this job on my worst enemy. I would never send anyone I cared about into the hell that this profession has become. It's the only job you can do everything right and still lose everything. It's the only job where the same citizens you risk your life for hate you for it. It's the only segment left in society where it's cool to discriminate and judge just because of the uniform you wear. You never get to explain. You can never reason with them. The nasty words have now turned into rocks and bottles and gunfire. I've watched it happen to those around me, and I've seen the total destruction of their lives. This job is a walking time bomb, and you could get canceled or prosecuted on the very next call, even if you do everything right. No profession has to deal with that. Doctors kill 250,000 people a year. They call them medical mistakes because society understands that they have a very difficult job under high stress. And they must make the best possible decision at the moment. Law enforcement is tasked with the same, and we are highly successful. Despite the most violent society we have ever seen, less than 1,000 suspects are killed a year. 96% of those are attacking us with weapons. 
and all but a few others are attacking us with their cars or their fists and more. And more with simulated guns. So Benjamin Crump can help their family win the lottery. I've seen cops risk their own lives when they shouldn't have, just to keep from taking one. They never get the credit that other professions get. Cowards are all around us. From chiefs to sheriffs to politicians, no one has our back. Now the little we have, we are told they are going to defund us or even abolish us. Citizens with a political agenda will reign over us, and all you have to do is wake up and put on a uniform to be a racist. This weekend, I received death threats for doing my job. It would have been outrageous a decade ago and made national news. Now, it's just a Monday. There will be, no threat, there will be more threats, more accusations of racism, and more lies told about us. I used to talk cops out of leaving the job. Now I'm encouraging them. It's over, America. You finally did it. You aren't going to have to abolish the police. We won't be around for it. And while I know most Americans still appreciate us, it's not enough and the risk is too high. Those of you that say thank you or buy the occasional meal, it means everything. But those of you that were silent while the slow turning of the knives on our backs happened by thugs and cowards, this is on you. Your belief in hashtags and memes over the truth and will create an environment in your community that you will never expect. If you think Minneapolis will turn into Mogadishu and that that's far from you, it's coming. And when it does, remember what your complicity did. This is the America that you made. That op-ed was written by Officer Travis Yates on Friday. It was posted at lawofficer.com. It's on my social media. You can read it for yourself and respond if you wish. I agree with every last word. Congressman Jim Jordan joins us next on AM 1420, The Answer. You know, every time I think I've seen and heard enough, um, and maybe the worst, I get this just sent to me before I go to our guest. Richmond, Virginia, the Dateline, police are asking for the public's help to find the people that they say attacked a Richmond police officer and police vehicle Saturday night while during demonstrations near the state-owned statue of uh, Confederate General Robert E. Lee. Police said several officers in a marked RPD SUV were trapped by protesters in the 400 block around 9.30 p.m. Officials released photos showing the back of the SUV's rear windshield with a gaping hole and a large dent on the car's rear panel. They are openly attacking and trapping so that they can't get assistance from other officers, police officers in America right now. This is this is uh, this is a bridge too far. Let me bring in Congressman Jordan, Congressman Jim Jordan, of course, Ohio's fourth congressional district representative, visits us each and every Monday to talk about some of the most important issues going on in Capitol Hill and across this country. Congressman, good morning. Good morning, Bob. Good to be with you. I, uh, I'm, I'm just, uh, 
I'm trying to process all of this that's going on right now. You know, we've been hearing and screaming, hearing people screaming, defund the police, defund the police, and we're hearing those on the far left and the anti-police and the Black Lives Matter groups and so on and so forth saying, no, 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 that doesn't mean get rid of the police. It just means we need to put more funds into other social programs so we don't need police so much, blah, blah, blah. Then the New York Times clarified it over the weekend. No, we mean abolish the police, literally. Police yeah. are being canceled in, in many, many different ways, Congressman Jordan. This this is the rule of law that is under attack while yep. these uniforms are being attacked. Yeah, no, exactly right, Bob. And if if you know you got the mayors of our two largest cities, De Blasio and Garcetti, New York and, and, and L.A. respectively, saying defund the police to the tune of like a billion dollars, I think in, in in New York. And it is about in Minneapolis, a super majority of the Minneapolis City Council is for abolishing the police department. And and then you go to Seattle, another one of our large cities. They've set up under this autonomous of this Chaz community, whatever it is, and and they've and they've no police there. So this is scary. They took where over they a precinct. Go. A, they took over a precinct, yes. and the police weren't allowed exactly. to defend it. Exactly. And so I, I want to know. So think about the think about someone who has a business in that in that community. And right now there is no police protection. No one really wants to come in and shop at their business, their retail outlet, or their restaurant, whatever what, whatever may be in those six blocks there. I don't I don't not familiar with the area. But think about them. Like, like, what do they say? They've been paying taxes to the city of Seattle, and the mayor says, we're not going to have police protection, fire protection. We're not going to let you operate. What a, the, 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 it seems to me the city owes them some money because right now they can't operate their livelihood. Um, this is how ridiculous the left's policies are. And, and, and so just crazy. I've heard of a lot of crazy public policy proposals, but nothing has been this insane. Nothing is more insane than this idea we're going to get rid of police departments. It makes absolutely no sense. The um, struggle that I'm having among many with this, Congressman Jordan, is that people, particularly people who are in prominent positions, but not only them, um, who are less than enthusiastic about getting behind the Black Lives Matter organization. And by the way, I want to say for the record that I do believe Black Lives Matter. Uh, absolutely they do. But the Black Lives Matter organization is an absolutely dangerous, deadly organization. Um, and people who are afraid uh, to say, and particularly prominent people, like I said, to say, you know, maybe something of that nature, we need to support law and order, we need to get a little bit of uh, a bit of the chaos under control, they're afraid to do so because they're fear fearful for their jobs. There is a database that is being collected of people who are being fired for not being woke enough, who literally are being fired because they're not uh, joining a company's uh, 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 movement and a public display or a public statement uh, against police and in support of Black Lives Matter. We're talking about First Amendment issues here we're talking about people's mm-hmm. livelihoods being in danger here um and and i don't know where we turn to whom we turn to stop it we can't turn to the police yeah. they're the ones who are being targeted can we turn to elected officials most elected officials are afraid to say anything that's going to cost them you know votes in the minority community I, I i don't know where we go from here congressman i'm getting very very close to the brick well and of course the obvious question that you raise in your in your point is where does it all end yeah you know look, look there's there's this whole thing of of rewriting history, tearing down statues, doing different things, and it's like, okay, where does it end? Where where do you stop? I mean, did you ask the Democrats? Do, do you take down the FDR uh, memorial in Washington D.C.? Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who because you know he, he's here's a guy who interned uh, Japanese Americans during the Second World War. I mean, where does it end? And the, the the thing is, most Americans, and I said this last week at the hearing, most Americans understand four fundamental facts. They know that what happened to 
George Floyd is a tragedy. It should never have happened, and, and the people who did that should be, this killer should be brought to justice. They also understand what happened to Pat Underwood, uh, a federal officer in Oakland who was killed during the riots. What happened to him was a tragedy, and it, was, it never should have happened, and his killer should be brought to justice. The Americans understand the vast majority of police bust their tail and do a great job every single day, risk their lives every day. They don't. They don't buy into this. 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 This stuff. Stuff that's being said. Americans third under understand that peaceful protest is consistent with the First Amendment and something that's a hallmark of our great country. But pe- there's a big difference between peaceful protest and rioting, looting, violence, and killing police officers. And finally, the most important thing was what we talked about at the start of this: is Americans understand defunding the police is stupid. It's crazy. So those four now and those four fundamental principles. Let's let's mold together policies that make sense but function under the, the, the premise of those four principles. And that's where most Americans are. But uh, unfortunately, they got way too many people. And, and the, the, the woke culture, the cancel culture, who don't understand those four basic facts, and we should build policy around that. I would take issue with number two, uh, only because I don't think Americans do understand the, the death of David Dorn, and I don't think they understand the death of Patrick Underwood. Those are two African-American police officers. And by the way, mm-hmm. it's really a shame that we focus on the two African-American police officers because there have been white police officers shot and killed in response to all of this, too. But for the p- purpose of this discussion in America today, where Black Lives Matter has become the rallying cry, uh, okay, those two Black Lives wore blue uniforms. Theirs don't count. I don't think mm-hmm. most Americans do because I'm not seeing rallies. I'm not seeing protests. I'm not seeing anybody calling for any action to be taken over the death of those two fine police officers. You know, you know, uh, Bob, the best thing said, I brought this up at the hearing last week. Uh, there were lots of important information at that hearing, but I felt in the end the best thing said was, was a statement by George Floyd's brother. And it was in response to a question he got from Congressman Gates about something that Angela Underwood Jacobs, Pat Underwood's sister, had said. And Mr. Mr. Floyd said, life is precious and that is so important the life of pat underwood is precious the life of george floyd is precious the life of david dorn is precious the life of any police officer who lost their life is precious the life of anyone who is who's been harmed by by uh, by police anywhere is life is precious and and that's what we got to focus on and and i thought it was great that it came from george floyd's brother in that hearing and we need to understand that that's that, that that's your point there are, there are officers who put their lives on the line every day, and their life is precious, and we need to recognize that as well. I don't know very many people, Congressman Jordan, uh, many black people who don't like white people. And I don't know very many white people who don't like black people. I feel like we are all being played, and the races are being pitted against one another for the per- for the personal agenda, the personal power agenda of some very, very powerful people. Uh, and not all yeah. of them are Americans. Uh, they, they are globalists who have an agenda in mind, and the destruction of the beacon of liberty that we are in this great republic is a huge, huge part of them advancing their global agenda. Do you believe that all of what we are seeing right now is organic dislike between the races in America, or do you agree that we are being we are being used and manipulated? Well, I, I think I, I think what I said earlier, Bob. I think it is it is a tragedy what happened in Minneapolis. It is a tragedy what happened in Oakland, and I think it's time to come together to do policies that make sense that are consistent with those four facts, those four principles I, I, I talked about a minute ago. That's what we got to focus on, and not dividing our country, not everyone yelling at everyone. Let's work together. And I think that's what the president's doing. When he laid out in his speech two weeks ago where he said, he said we, need, we need justice, not chaos. 
let's focus on that. Let's focus on getting justice for these people who were wrong, and let's let's focus on what's best for the country. Um, I thought the president's speech in, in, in Florida two weeks ago was, was right on the money, um, and I think that's where the vast majority of Americans want to go. Not uh, not some of these people who are uh, orchestrating violence in some of our cities, and certainly not this Chaz community in Seattle. Uh, what yeah, they, I'm glad what you they, brought that Whatever up. they represent. That was going to be my next question. <clears throat> they have essentially cordoned off about a seven-block uh, radius in, in Seattle, as you know, declared to be an autonomous zone. They, they've essentially said, we are seceding from the United States. They want to create their own country. Of course, by the way, when things got on fire, they called the Seattle Police Department. They want the services <laughs> of the city after that. But... But, Congressman, President Trump has told the mayor of Seattle, who thinks this is just a great big fun block party, according to her, and the mayor of Washington, Jay Inslee, if you don't reclaim the city of Seattle, um, I will do it. Um, do you think that federal intervention is necessary if that means the Guard or maybe even bigger, the United States military to reclaim? Because here's my fear. If they don't reclaim this soon and put this insurrection down, it's going to happen in another city and another city and another city, and by then, what are we really going to have in this country? Do you think the president should act here if the uh, city and state leaders in Washington will not? He may need to if 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 local officials and the governor of the state won't, because I go back to what I just described. The person who lives in that community who doesn't support this, this idea that they're now a resident or citizen or whatever, I don't know how you'd say it, of Chaz, the, 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 their, their rights are being infringed. So the, 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 the person who runs a restaurant in that six-block community, and right now no one's coming into their restaurant because people are probably afraid to come into Chaz. Other than that, the, 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 their, their rights are being infringed. So, yeah, at some point the president may in fact have to do that if local authorities and the governor of the state won't, won't take the appropriate action. So I, I, I get that. I think I think most Americans understand that fact. How long do we wait? How long do we allow that? Because the chief of police has said, has, has said there are rapes and assaults and violent crimes oh, taking place man. either in or through that, that area, and they can't get oh, in. Terrible. The police are not allowed yeah. to get in because they're confronted by armed guards, by the way, who have built makeshift borders and border walls around that area. So yeah. how about that? No. But, but, but the police no, have, the police chief has said we can't get in there to, to provide services, for goodness sakes. I mean, how long do we wait before we, we have to do something? Yeah, that's a. That, I mean, obviously, that's going to be a call for the for, for the president. Um, and and I don't know that I don't know what the time frame is, but um, what I know is what you know, Bob. This is this is this is crazy that this kind of thing is happening in the greatest nation ever. And um, it it seems to me instead of local leaders doing and doing and saying the things that you see from the likes of De Blasio and Garcetti and and in the city council, a super majority of the city council in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's focus on common sense principles, not this, not this crazy idea that you're going to abolish police departments and defund police departments, a billion dollars, as they're talking about, I think, in New York. Let's focus on things that actually are going to help. Yeah, crazy is uh, is one good word. It's every bit of that. Uh, dangerous, I think, is is even more uh, appropriate right now. It's a dangerous we had a, we had a hearing in the hearing last week. Dan Bonzino did. Uh, we had great witnesses. We had Pastor Daryl Scott from the Cleveland area. We had he was great. Uh, he was great. You were great. Bongino was great. Yeah. yeah, I loved all of them. Bongino was there. Was Bongino talk about what it means for officers in this environment and what it means for community for people who live in in areas that are going to be most hard hit by. A defunding of the police, and that was that was real, and it came from a guy who understands it. And so that's that's what we also need to understand.
No question about it. Congressman Jordan, uh, thank you so much for the work that you do. You and bet. We'll catch up with you. Thanks, Bob. You too. Thank you. It's 10.01. We're going to talk uh, with a couple of cops, uh, FOP leaders, in fact, Gary Wolski and Jay McDonald next on the.